0: The Guardian. Welcome once again to the Guardian World Cup podcast, and what a week it was as at last, at last, we moved into the knockout phase. The teams were drawn, and four were courted. We had Watto Ducks and Wahab Snorters, Sri Lankans and Banglers in sore disorder. We smashed Mashrafa and Jason Holder. Pitch up the gut till you saw the slaughter when the rounds rained down like a four-inch mortar. Sangakara, Jaya, Wardner, forced from the sport in a wall of water. So now we're down to the final four, and no part of the tournament's more important. Tie down your sons, lock up your daughters, and see what's in store for the last instalment. As always, Jeff Lemon here as your host for the day, and joining me this week, the world's premier exponent of cricket statistic-based comedy, Andy Zaltzman, as he tours his stand-up shows around the South Pacific. The woman who has seen more games and met more shouting weirdos than anyone at this World Cup, Crickinfo's Melinda Farrell. And the editor of Australian sports opinion site, theraw.com.au, Patrick Effany. Welcome, everyone. And starting with Mel, I'd like to know what you all made of quarterfinal week when it finally came to
1: us. Well,
2: it looked a bit more like it was happening over in New Zealand, doesn't it? I actually really noticed over here in in Adelaide, certainly when I was in Adelaide, Sydney, it's kind of felt a bit low-key and I feel like that's because the, the footy seasons have kicked off um, and even though it's still kind of pre-season for AFL, it's, it's grabbed a lot of media attention and I've even heard that from some of the, the general sports sports journalists who've been out there saying that they've been finding it hard to kind of to crack in there mm. whereas when you looked over in New Zealand I know that they've they've had higher aggregate crowds in Australia but gee the the atmosphere at the cake Tin looked just incredible and and for my colleagues who were over there it feels like maybe because of, they've been held in some smaller cities as well it seems to have created more of a of a buzz and an energy I think there's um, a huge yeah. amount of
0: media attention you know given to the New Zealand team at the moment over mm-hmm. there, but so is that because New Zealand's never won a World Cup, obviously? Maybe it's old hat for Australians. Oh, it's just another World Cup that we may or may not win. Um, is, is it complacency, do you think?
2: Maybe a little bit. I think the length of the tournament obviously has played a part in it, as as we know. And, I mean, I know there have been a lot of people working very hard to pr- promote it as well. Uh, I did hear that there were a fair few tickets given away Um but to, to at least one of the games. I know uh, the day of the um, Adelaide, I think it was the last Adelaide match before the quarterfinals, there were guys outside with the Adelaide Advertiser newspapers who were actually, they had free tickets inside, huh. which I thought was you know pretty amazing that right. we're at that stage. But it was just a shame that the only quarterfinal that really threw up a Properly competitive match was was Australia and and Pakistan, and obviously that the actual the scoreboard didn't reflect um, how close that match certainly could have been, and the amount of pressure that Australia was under. But uh, I certainly know for me that spell from from Wahab Riaz was I, I was reminded of, uh, definitely about being there for for the Ashes, where Mitchell Johnson absolutely tore through England in that and uh, that afternoon session. It was just it was Got just zinging. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I, was, more, I, was, soon. I was I was sat near Andy as well. But <laughs> the whole the whole place just lifted, and um, it, was, it was that was something incredible to see. And that's probably going to be one of the most the, the lasting memories of this World Cup for me.
1: So you were there, Andy, in person as well. At that oh, game. was yeah. felt felt like a uh, like body line over again but in slightly brightly more brightly coloured clothing um, uh, well, Jardine's cap was pretty colourful <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, but he didn't really go for the full green trouser I don't no. know what that means but I feel like it should be a euphemism <laughs> for something yes, he's gone you know the I'm... full green trouser ladies and gentlemen <laughs> well I think oh, clearly the quarter finals were seriously impacted by the fact that England weren't there that j- just took all, <laughs> all the excitement I think the ITC needs to try and come up with a format that ensures that at least Ten teams make it to the quarterfinals, <laughs> and then you make sure that you have all the big teams there. Um, yeah, it was uh yeah a s- slightly disappointing round of matches in that uh, there weren't any close finishes, and the Australia-Pakistan game, it was really that one hour that it was really competitive, and it was absolutely spellbinding for that hour, but either side of that, it was Pakistan- Batting as Pakistan does now, uh, rather than how they used to. In uh, it would, I think they had um, eight batsmen reach double figures, and none of them, not only did none of them score fifty, but none of them looked like scoring fifty. And they were um, all out court as well, so yes, slugging all, to midweek. Uh, yes, yeah, so they were. Uh, yeah, that you just cannot win a World Cup with a batting sides like that. Um, very much like you know, Michelangelo couldn't have painted the Sistine Chapel without paint brushes. I think Pakistan are basically trying to do <laughs> to do that. Um, but, uh, and, you know, for, for New, Ze- New Zealand, obviously been fantastic through the tournament. But if Martin Guptill could have hand picked a bowling attack to bowl at him in a quarter final and probably a stadium in which to do it, he'd have, he'd have gone for the West Indies in the cake tin. So, but the semi final lineup now is, you know, we'll hopefully get some slightly more gripping narratives than we got in the quarters. Mm.
0: Patrick you, you feel for Jason Holder you know that the West Indies fast bowling captain it's hard to be a fast bowling captain at the best of times but he has to keep bowling himself at the death um, and he's quite a good bowler at the start of an innings but seems to be absolutely smashed at the end of them.
3: Yeah when you dish up knee-high, in-swinging, full tosses uh, on a regular basis, you are going to get taken over square leg in mid-wicket for six on a regular <laughs> basis. That's what my coach always says anyway. Um, look, that sounds
1: like uh, very sound coaching to me. Look, it, it is. Yeah. It's,
3: it's, they, sometimes some people call it trite cricketing, cricketing wisdom, other people <laughs> call it damn basics, but it, it was, you know... It, it's Don't be terrible. <laughs> it's pretty fundamental stuff and uh, it shows that de Villiers smashed his two massive scores off not many balls from the very same very same people who, uh, you know, Guptill did the same thing too. But but for me, the whole quarterfinals was, you know, the first day of it um, when Tr- everyone was... I was excited, you know, it was a bubble of excitement and then Sri Lanka get bowled out for 140 and the prick goes through the, the balloon and from then on it was just a... Series of promises that went unfulfilled. Um, Bangladesh started well; everyone was on them. I was on them. I was listening to the radio. I was having a great time, thinking, could they just do it? And then India scored 150 off the last 15 overs, and uh, that was done too. So, yeah, it was it was kind of and the Wahab spell again. You know, a dropped catch just puts the puts the pin through through Pakistan's uh, balloon of hope because that was that was their time. That was the time they were going to make inroads into Australia. Um, and then just for further humiliation, Sahal Khan drops one too.
0: Yeah, well summarised. It was a, a series of pinpricks, really, each game. That that uh, Sri Lanka-South Africa game, you know, you have to give credit to South Africa bowling brilliantly. But uh, at the same time, you know, I've been on the record over the course of this podcast as being a massive Sangakara fanboy. And and to see him and, and Joe Wardner head out of one day cricket in in just such a – it was a massive disappointment to see them go out so so feebly, really.
1: Uh, yeah, it was. It was a slightly curious innings by Sangakara in that you felt that all the way through he was sort of doing the right thing to try and rebuild, but then wickets kept falling, and then you realise he's got 30 off 400 balls or something, yeah. and the game's almost out of reach already. And then they, I mean, their, their lower middle order looked dreadful on paper beforehand, particularly on. Paper when you'd look, which had the statistics from the previous four years written on it, <laughs> and uh, and that really came back to to button. But also the selectors, they went absolutely stone cold crazy on the morning of the World Cup final four years ago, and brought in four new players, including a guy who hadn't even been in the squad until about a minute before the game, and they brought in uh, they broke up a successful opening partnership, put in Kusal Pereira, who played what I think is. Scientifically provably, the worst innings of three that has ever been played in the history of cricket. Ten balls, he could have been out at least seven times uh, and then was eventually out on his eighth life. Uh, and, but, and you can't entirely blame him. He probably wasn't expecting to play in a World Cup quarter final or, open, a, the batting. or <laughs> open the batting against <laughs> Abbott and Stain. So, But it was, yeah, it, it just gave that game, they were... A, uh, uh, t- the four for two or two for four, whichever way you look at it, didn't. Re- either way, it wouldn't, wouldn't have uh, <laughs> wouldn't matter. They were they were toast.
3: I like to I like to look at games in terms of the the context of you know what's the most disappointing or or glorious for cricket, and whether it's Mahela and Akumar going out in, in such a fashion, or whether it's JP Domeny getting a hat trick <laughs> uh, <laughs> is quite debatable. Things, things and then the 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 best thing about that was the f- absolute fizzer of a hat trick that it was. Everyone everyone was like, ah, oh, he's got. He's got another wicket. (laughs) And no one knew. And then at the end of the over, the sort of half hearted, like, hey, he's got a hat trick, like, (laughs) pops up. And all the people, all all the people at the ground who had no idea, Twitter was going nuts. They were like, hat trick, hat trick, hat trick. And then at the ground, everyone was just kind of like, oh. A
0: hat-trick. How but nice. It was on sort the of poetry as well. It was sort of, oh, he's got him, he's got another wicket, and also a hat-trick, <laughs> uh, which we didn't pick up before yeah, he was bowling right. that
1: ball. But now that he's completed it, that definitely was but one. The Stephen Finn hat-trick in the opening oh. game, one of the greatest pieces of fast bowling in the history of uh, mm. the history of cricket.
0: That was good. Mel, walk us through the Stephen Finn hat-trick. I know you were a fan. Like, it was, you know, that... that
2: <laughs> I was a fan of, of the hat trick yeah, of yeah, Stephen yeah, Finn. You, you, <laughs> were you got a at-
1: tattoo of each of the wickets.
2: <laughs> right? Actually, yes, got a tattoo of each of the wickets. The, the funny thing about that, too, is that like Stephen Finn was so happy, he was almost surprised. that he Like, he was so genuinely You know, he's been through such a, a rough patch. He's... he's Bowling has been broken apart and then they've tried to rebuild it, but it's still not there. And um, and, and in that match to then finally get those three wickets when it really meant nothing <laughs> at the end of the innings, they'd belted well and truly. But he was so happy yeah. you know, and he was so excited. So, you know, that's nice for him, isn't it? I think he was happier than, than right. JP Duminy. But
0: he sort of had this thing with his teammates where they were, they didn't want to be that excited. They were kind of patting him on the back, but it was like he was happy that he'd put his pants on by himself. <laughs> yes, he was sort of saying, all right, well, you know, you have, well done, but let's walk, Let's not be embarrassed well, about it. England actually have a coach for that
1: yeah. amongst their <laughs> backroom staff at 400. They're like a putting on coach. And the green they,
2: trouser pro- cel- They probably have a celebration coach as well, Definitely coaches them how that. to actually mm. celebrate yeah, each yeah. wicket. But, uh, yeah, so uh, I think the Stephen Finn one was probably even more impressive than the Germany one because that, that was just, by that stage, and there have been a couple of those games where it's really, the life has gone out of it. It's been a bit. Disappointing. I have to say that um, your your mate uh, Kumar Sanger, he was brilliant afterwards. He came out and he spoke to everyone. He walked around and yeah. he did interviews with all of us, and he was incredibly gracious at a moment that you know would have been really disappointing for him. But also, we've seen in this World Cup there are some teams that you know are so heavily reliant on one or two batsmen firing for the, for Sri Lanka. As soon as as soon as uh, Mahala was out, you're like Oh, that's pretty much it then, and especially because right. um, Kumar was so uh, bottled up, and he yep. just couldn't free himself at all. And as, as soon as he's gone, and you felt you felt that way with the West Indies, that once Gale goes, it's like the 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 whole life goes out of everything. And Jason Holder, who I actually have a lot of time for, and I think with him and a couple of other players, the West Indies could really rebuild. Um, I think is very impressive. He He's come out and taken on the burden each time, um, but there's, he just doesn't have the other players around him to do it. Even, even with South Africa, you, you sort of feel a little bit their reliance on a couple of their batsmen uh, is quite heavy as well. And I, th- I think sort of batting depth, not just depth, but consistency across the, the batting order when you look at teams like India and Australia and New Zealand as, as well um, to an extent, that It's not surprising they're the teams that are still there because they have had that consistency. If someone doesn't fire, it's not the end of the innings where you're seeing that with a lot of the other Teams
0: that have been in this World Cup. What I really liked about um, the, that West Indies game is, you know, they've conceded 393 against New Zealand, the highest ever World Cup score to Martin Guptill. But they've come out and said, <laughs> you know what, bugger it, yeah, we're going to have a crack at this, and they've made 250 in 30 overs. Ridiculous. You know? So if they if they batted out their overs, they actually would have run it down comfortably. <laughs> yeah, that is a big, big F though. <laughs> if we'd given them another 10 wickets to lose, for instance, but you oh, know, I still all, think they'd have choked it. Almost all of their batsmen are sort of going at strike rates of 180 odd you know, the ones who made any sort of scores in that innings. I liked the fact that they said, just forget about the wickets, keep hitting, just keep hitting. And there was something kind of admirable about it.
2: Well, and also about the fact that Chris Gale could barely move. That's
1: been the case for about eight years, though. Yeah, it is, (laughs) pretty much. Even when he could, he didn't. (laughs) I don't know how
3: he maintains such a ripped physique. (laughs) <laughs> Considering people say he has the body of a 60 year old yet his pecs, you know, uh, are uh, just so glorious. Um, I was interested; like it is interesting that we've we have been talking about batting a lot, right? Like uh, the whole World Cup has been batting dominated. How many scores of three hundred plus, um, unprecedented type of thing? But the bowling, when it has been right, um, it's shown the power of the ball, right? Like uh, P- that uh, Australia New Zealand game is a great example where. Um, the bowlers bowled well, and they got their awards. I think maybe are we are we going too far in terms of like do we not respect good bowling enough? Like Sanga was clearly strangled by by the bowling uh, in that quarterfinal. Um, a good player doesn't go at at sixty or whatever you know some paltry strike rate. I think it was less. He was he was yeah. sort of thirty off
0: eighty balls or something at one point. Right,
3: right. Uh, good players don't. That doesn't happen to good players, you know. Um, and it's been the case that Pakistan. Uh, South Africa game was similar in the pools um, where, you know, it was just good bowling, like some good bowling, really good bowling to strangled teams. So mm. I think we do need to, to say, well, hang on, like, clearly they bowled well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, of course,
0: yeah. Um, but I feel like in that in that Sri Lanka game, they let Dumini settle and, and Sangakara let him settle because he was... Um, he was worried about the situation the wickets that had gone down and loath as I am to criticise Sangakara for anything ever he did get a bit too conservative and he wasn't sort of turning the strike over finding some, some ones or twos here and there to, to keep things moving, Duman is able to settle, he gets into I think his seventh over and, and that's when he starts taking wickets whereas if he's attacked early and that's something a lot of other teams have done, he's gone after him first over, hit him for a couple of sixes and put him off, then you know, he's less likely to stay on and, and he doesn't get that groove going.
1: I, I guess that, that- that's partly due to the the uh the fact that teams now are confident to score you know 130 to 150 in the last 15 overs and it's almost like Sangakara was thinking we just have to ride it out and get there but the problem is if you then don't do that you end up being bowled out for 130 right um so uh, but the, you're entirely correct about bowlers being underrated uh and undervalued in this tournament and i think what's been great is seeing the value of of raw pace, it's been a, a great tournament for for pace. But I think this was highlighted. There was uh, in the group game, India's Zimbabwe, uh, Ireland Zimbabwe. They gave the man of the match to Ed Joyce, who scored a decent hundred. But in a game where there was 670 runs, uh, Cusack got four for 32 off nine overs. How was he not man of the match? Right. he clearly won that match yes. almost on his own. But but it it, it, it does show the. Uh, ludicrous pro-batting prejudice. Josh Hazelwood did get the
3: man of the match the other evening, which is kind of refreshing to see.
1: Yeah, although, in Uh, fact, in that game, I thought Steve Smith should have got it because I think his innings was the decisive factor. And Hazelwood's, you know, he he, he bowled really well, but his wickets were kind of fairly soft, Batting errors rather than a match-winning bowling performance.
0: Mm. So, so we we do have a few standout bowling performances. You know, Trent Bolt has nineteen wickets at an average of fourteen in the World Cup. Stark eighteen wickets at nine point seven, which isn't too bad when you
1: think about it. <laughs> it well, yeah, but he he took an absolute pounding the other day. Statistically, his average, his strike rate, and his economy all went up, and he had two for forty. Or 10. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, his average went up from eight and a half to nine point seven. <laughs> um, and
0: Mohammed Shami has been the real surprise for me. Um, incredibly consistent 17 wickets in the tournament. Um, India having taken all 70 wickets so far, which nobody saw coming.
3: Considering he just got taken to the cleaners in every single game he played in Australia. He did take uh,
0: wickets in the test matches, but he always took them when Australia were about two for 400 and something. Then he'd take three or four, and, and it would make very little difference. But um,
3: He does have a, one of the best Yorkers in cricket, though. He, and he, he's got that kind of low trajectory that allows him to sling in Yorkers that can creep under anyone's bat basically so it does you know it does help in white ball cricket to have that weapon
1: somewhere in australia there is a shipping container with the real yes mohammed shami Umar, so <laughs> Mowit, Salma, it? yes and they've brought in these kind of Robots. robotic replacements that have been developed in a ipl funded laboratory somewhere outside chennai and they have they're bowling. They're, they're not, they can They cannot physically be the same people who bowled.
2: <laughs> I a agree of with you, ago. but how? I mean, w- what gets me is how did they suddenly find consistency? Because they could still bowl quickly. They were still bowling uh, reasonably quickly, and in almost every over throughout the tests and throughout the tri-series, it was like those guys would would bowl maybe three or four decent balls in an over, and then there'd always be a couple of release balls in almost every over. There was there very rare periods where they would just bowl consistently and that's been the biggest change for me in, in how they've bowled in this is all of a sudden you haven't had the you know the shockers that have that have left them off the hook and meant that that there's a boundary at least in every over and it's I don't know it's incredible how they've been able to refocus.
1: Donnie said after the game the other day that, that he's been trying to make them uh, focus on bowling one length and not trying so many variations and that does seem to have been effective but they haven't been put under match stress yet in this tournament they've not been in a situation where they have to bowl a team out to to win to win a game that's gone you are on the guardian world cup
0: podcast with our guests Andy Zultman Mel Farrell and Patrick Effany. and we want to look in this section at the possibilities for the world cup final we've got a couple of semi finals to come this week but we won't have a podcast between them and the final so we need to canvas <laughs> all possibilities between now and then Experts, can I get you to consider what may happen if, for instance, India play New Zealand in the final on Sunday?
2: Well, interestingly enough, um, I think spin will definitely come into that. Um, Brendan McCollum's average... In this World Cup, against spin and against pace is vastly different. Like it's a lot lower against spin, so he's he's not able to to use that pace of the ball, you know, which just shoot which suits his power game so much. Uh, so that that I think could be a really interesting key factor. In fact, I think spin uh, may be a factor in in all of these games, um, all of these permutations, perhaps. But that that for me could be something that where the likes of Jadeja and and Ashwin come into play in a game like that and and also for New Zealand coming over and playing in Australia where they've um you know, obviously they've had home advantage uh throughout this tournament so that that would be interesting to see how they would fare in a, in front of a crowd that i suspect would be similar to the game against South Africa and massively Indian based.
0: Would we see India opening with spin potentially, Patrick, do you think to, to nullify the McCullum factor? It worked for um was it Bangladesh who did it?
3: Yeah, yeah. I think they would. The only problem for them is they don't have a, a leggy or a left arm orthodox, which in my opinion is the, the ideal matchup against McCollum because obviously you want
0: they the do Does G- Jadeja he bowl
3: left up? He does. You're right. He could bowl. He could open with Jadeja. G- but I was thinking opening with Ashwin who right. opens quite often. Yep. Um it, it would be ideal if Jadeja would open for them um, and, and it's maybe what they should do because as Mel says, I think in his last 11 games he's averaging less than 10 against spin um, where his average against spa- pace is 49. So it, it's he played pretty... Stuart Broad pretty well in the <laughs> end <be fair>. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I would do it if it were me. I, I was, I was uh, going to make the point that if it was Australia, New Zealand, I'd open with Xavier Doherty, like uh, even at the MCG. It sounds preposterous considering all the all the bad press the X Man's getting in the and the way he know. was completely
0: <laughs> trashed against Sri Lanka. Right, and the SCG, right, right. But, yeah. Or but, would you not uh, open with Michael Clarke bowling instead, who does still have the tournament's best economy rate? I'll have you know, <laughs> <laughs> two point eight from five overs is, is uh, M J Clark's economy rate. So I, I
3: would do that. I would definitely. Uh, uh, see if McCullum can make his own pace because he against you, you suspect against Yadav and Shami he would uh, despite all the praise we've heaped on them before I think he would get absolutely tailed
0: up. We've uh, well I've loved New Zealand's approach to this World Cup and I'm sure I'm not alone where they've just gone absolute all out balls to the wall attack. You know <laughs> it doesn't matter what it is the the way he uh, is, the is way...
1: putting your balls on a wall a particularly effective. Attacking manoeuvre.
0: <laughs> it it's a distractionary technique. <laughs>
1: what approach? Is what we were doing wrong at the Battle of the Somme? Right, guys. <laughs> put your balls on the wall. Get over the top. Put your balls on the wall. We don't
0: have enough balls on the wall. That's <laughs> insufficient. Well, when you're having people blown to smithereens by shells, you can probably collect a few and attach them to yeah. walls. But maybe as a warning, I don't know. Um, <clears throat> We'll work this through in more detail after the show. <laughs> it's a bit
2: like heads on spikes, perhaps. Well, yeah. Yep,
0: yeah, very small heads on small <laughs> spikes.
1: That was a section of the Muppets that never really
0: took off of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I really loved in, in the West Indies quarterfinal, McCullum bowls out uh, his opening bowler. He gives Trent Bolt 10 overs straight. Why? Because he's taking wickets to keep him on, you know, get them. And he gets the West Indies four or five down in that opening spell. No other captain in this tournament would do that, you know, I guarantee you. Yeah. They've, they've had this unrelenting attack and, and he's, McCullum said well it might not pay off but bugger it, do it anyway
1: Yeah, well they've got the tools to do that and part of the reason for that is that they that they've had almost like two superstar signings coming into a football team that weren't in the team even two months ago, so Bolt had played um, I think 10 one day internationals in by January and done almost nothing in any of them and uh, suddenly they've got one of the world cup top spearhead opening bowlers. Uh, Vittori have played a handful of one day internationals not especially effectively over the last well since the last world cup really and he's come in and given them that control that they haven't really had from their their spinners over the last couple of years. So they I think that's part of the reason they've and fed off each other's confidence and they know that they have this massive depth in batting got Southie coming in 9 or 10 who you know who can who's a dangerous hitter. Um so it's yeah, it has been been, been great to watch. It, coming to the final, these uh when you're watching Guptill in the Cake Tin, you're thinking, well, oh, those are some mighty shots, but that is one short boundary. And um as you say, with McCullum having to force the pace, if they're having to hit that much harder to clear the fielders, who knows, it might it might be a problem for them. But they've they've encountered every barrier so far pretty impressively. but at the same time, this is New Zealand. Six semifinals, six, six. To, I mean, England haven't lost a semifinal in what? Or what <laughs> t- almost 25 <laughs> years now. They need to, New Zealand should learn from us and how not to lose semi-finals. <laughs> but that, that is, because there will be, I don't know if they're being asked about it in press conferences, but that has to be a bit of a nagging doubt.
0: Right, but I, mean, I feel like that's always been something to do with New Zealand teams being, you know, condescended to as plucky, punchy underdogs who are who are above the yeah. weight division, who who are expected to lose semi-finals, whereas now they're really not.
1: Yes, no, that, that well, uh, that's uh, certainly the case. I guess in in the last World Cup, they maybe weren't expected to beat South Africa in the quarterfinal, um, and did relatively okay in the semi-final but lost. But now there is that expectation because they are clearly good enough to win the tournament, which is not necessarily a position that they've mm. always been in when they've lost semi-finals before. Would you would you tip them against
0: India if against they came India. up against them in a final? Because India, for me, have been the real quiet achievers. They've, they've been unfussy, they've been unspectacular, but they've done the job more efficiently than any other side. They haven't lost. They've taken every wicket available to them. They've chased every total, um, forged every stream, <laughs> they followed every rainbow until they found their dream. Yeah, so that's written on the
1: dressing room wall, Jeff. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's the inspiration for them. Um, uh, I yeah, uh, I I think they would be. I, I think the New Zealand seamers could undermine the Indian top order. So I'd go for New Zealand to win that by thirty-four runs or four wickets with eight point three overs to spare. Wow. Can they
0: beat Australia though, Mal Farrell? If New Zealand come up against Australia in that final at the MCG, home ground advantage to the Australians, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, does that actually matter, or, or will we see New Zealand carry on this fearless approach?
2: Well. Oh, well, I don't know that they would change their approach, although I guess the pressure of a final will always tell, it can always tell on either side. I mean, they've, no, they've already shown they can beat Australia um, in this World Cup. Even yeah, but though that was a
0: th- kind of weird carnival game where everyone played a horrible shot and uh, admittedly yeah. there was some nice bowling, but basically it was bowl fast at the stumps and eventually someone will be an idiot. Um, <laughs> that, that's kind of how 19 wickets fell in, in sort of 40 overs or whatever it was. It was ridiculous,
2: much. but it affected both sides, didn't it? Yeah. And that was the thing, it actually, that's what the pressure comes down to it affects both sides and i i think that if it's an Australian-New Zealand final, I do think that there's more expectations on the Australian side. And what you said about India is is exactly right all the way through, that I felt like India were just under the radar. I've been doing lots of Vox Pop things where I talk to fans and about halfway through, at the start, halfway through, they're all talking about South Africa and Australia and then they started talking about New Zealand. But still, uh, except for Indian fans, obviously, because they always, (laughs) you know, are going to say that their team's going to win the World Cup... But just in general it was you know that it, it feels like they have and I think that's because we were foxed by them over the summer and, and how they performed in Australia. But I mean I think I think that New Zealand would be able to kind of go for broke in a fi- in a final if it was them against Australia because I do think the expectations would be on Australia and they're both got they're both very aggressive anyway. So in some ways it doesn't surprise me that the game ended up being like that because they are both very aggressive sides with with explosive batsmen. I mean Glenn Maxwell's not likely to go out there and be be conservative uh, you know, at any point in the match, is he politically? Maybe. maybe, maybe
0: I feel like Glenn Maxwell sort of crosses roads with a bag over his head. You know, he's just like, if I make it to the other side, it's meant to be. You know? <laughs> 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 he
2: is. <laughs> but you know, he's, he's just adds, he's added so much excitement. And yep. it'd th- be interesting to see, too, if they, if they get there, they just stick with him as the main spinner as well. Um because Australia that's probably Australia's biggest weakness as an overall balanced side, I think, is you'd have to say is the lack of spin options.
3: Yeah, I think it's a real pickle actually if Australia make the final and play New Zealand. I think against anyone else you just play Hazelwood um, and Johnson and Stark and that's your there's your, that's your attack right there. But I think if New Zealand come out against Australia, it's a real problem. I mean, I would love to see, as I said, the X-man, Xavier Doherty, get him in there um, and, and bowl him. <laughs> Do you bowl have shares him to in Xavier open. I don't, yeah, you know, I don't. <laughs> uh, Xavier Doherty Enterprises, I believe. Um, no, I, I just think it, it does, it's a big problem because um, although Hazelwood is less hittable than Pat Cummins, uh, who proved very hittable through this tournament, um, I still think that opening up with either Stark or Johnson... Is a problem against McCullum. Uh, I think he will go over the top and be successful. Uh, so, yeah, the, the the best way is to to make him force his own, you know, force his pace. And it, the stats show that. Um, and watching him play, I think it's it's very reasonable to 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 make Australia shake up their their plans. Um, that said, I think that if Australia play New Zealand, I still think Australia will win. Um, based just on batting? Based on batting, yeah. I think they'll score more runs. Um, they have, Traditionally, how you win based on batting. Always think they'll, a good tactic. Yeah, it is a good tactic. Uh, they'll, I just think that you know, Finch uh, and Warner at the top uh, know how to clear the MCG boundary. Um, you know, it's it is a big it's a big fence, and you have got to hit it pretty far to get it there. Or you've
0: got to know when not to try, and when you're going to go along the ground instead, or right. when, when you're going to. It's much easier to pick up twos and even threes Correct. in a one day. I think on that's going that to be ground. a
3: big. I think that's going to be a big part of the game. Because um, if even if Bolt uh, and Southey get wickets early, uh, I still think that that Smith and Clark are likely to be less perturbed um, than perhaps New Zealand's um, middle order if if Stark takes wickets early.
2: There's a, there appears to have been, though, a real vulnerability in Australia's opening partnership because Finch has been struggling so much against the new ball. Everyone knows it. It's not a secret. Um, and aside from at the start of the tournament, you know, he's he's been struggling cause, because teams have, have found him out. And uh, th- those two New Zealand opening bowlers are two of the best proponents of getting the, the early ball moving around. So, And you do often feel that Smith in particular Steve Smith coming in is such a calming influence. Um, but that's I think that's a, it's been a little bit of a vulnerability in australia's um, in Australia's top order and uh, it's it's something that I think certainly New Zealand would try to exploit with the bowlers they've got.
3: Finch is a perpetual gamble as a cricketer. Uh, for whatever reason, it's one of these weird kind of ethereal things about cricket he either gets 100 or he gets nothing, you know. It, it shouldn't be that way. He should be able to go out there and maybe score a 40 every now and then, but he just doesn't seem to want to do it. Or, um, but, but days when he, he just goes out and he'll hit the third ball over cover for six and you'll go, oh, like he's, you know, that's what the Australian selectors are banking right. on. In one of these two games, he hasn't done it in, what, the last three games?
0: Uh, well, in the game when he made 100 he right, was dropped on naught.
3: Right, right, so. right. So if he gets some luck or he gets away... That's what the Australian selectors are saying. Right. Then you'll get 100.
0: Because you've got a sort of insurance policy in Steve Smith, Michael Clarke in the middle order, they're happy to spend one of six or seven batting slots on, on a coin toss mm-hmm. you know that, that might come their, their way. If it doesn't, they've got backup.
3: And judging by Watson's fortunes at three earlier in the tournament mm-hmm. and throughout this summer, I think we can safely rule him out of facing the new ball.
0: <laughs> but his luck is in. <laughs> um, so if Australia play New Zealand, we're, we're looking at a real cracker. If Australia play South Africa... My feeling is that, is that South Africa won't be able to to bring dominance to that game, but I don't know if
1: you any of you agree or disagree. Well, I think well, I think Australia would beat New Zealand. Um, I think their the New Zealand bowling attack may be less effective in the MCG and their batting, as I said, might not. So I'm going for New Zealand to beat India. Australia to beat New Zealand. I'm going for South Africa to beat Australia. <laughs> uh, I think I has got something big up his sleeve. Yeah, they're his arms. Um, there. Yeah. Biceps. <laughs> possibly Massive. his biceps, possibly his tats. Um, <laughs> Those tats
3: are growing by the day. <laughs> are, I haven't yeah. seen...
1: He has, you know. uh, I think, a new one every... Uh, he has just part of his daily routine now. Um, Some uh, some new ink. Uh,
3: They've got enough time between games, though. That's the thing. They've got yeah. a week between games, so it's <laughs> time to dry. I mean,
1: when you say that, is it, is it, but I think a lot of this final, it could come down to... It's been a six-week tournament, build-up before that, tours before that. It could come down to... Which team still actually likes cricket? Because when they could just have, oh, no, I've had enough of it. There must be more to life <laughs> than this. Um, but I'm going for South Africa to beat Australia. Um, I, th- I think that that th- they they have a quite a high risk batting lineup. Australia, um, as you say, Finch is not much of a technician. Um, uh, Maxwell, uh, similarly, I-, I think South Africa might be able to exploit that. And uh, you know, Davila's. Although I don't think South Africa's batting lineup is as reliable. I think in they have a, the best batsman in the world, uh, who could, you know, even if the rest of it, as he almost did against Pakistan, single-handedly win a game when the rest of his team has gone bananas. So if South Africa play
0: India, which is the matchup we haven't looked at yet, does anything change for
1: you? I'm going for India to win that. one, so I've now <laughs> predicted all four teams to win. Um, uh, uh, I, th- uh, I think uh, I think maybe India's top order slightly more technical than Australia's. I think they be, might be able to see off Stain. I think Indian uh, spinners will apply a bit of a squeeze on the South Africans, and I believe AB de Villiers will run himself out <laughs> again. That's the key with beating, beating South Africa. You've got to make De Villiers run himself out. It's
3: quite a contingent <laughs> prediction, yeah. I'd say. He worked, he
1: worked for New Zealand in the quarter-final last, although it was more Faf duplicy that ran him out. Worked for India earlier this tournament. You run out De Villiers, <laughs> you beat South Africa. That's one of those stats that the broadcasters keep putting That's up. That's right. 100% it's, key factor. It's
0: <laughs> funny, in games where Pakistan make more than 330, they
1: win 90% of the time. The West Indies the other day, they set out chasing 394. Keys to success, they need a partnership of more than a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: love like the sense. fact that they show the, the weak zones or whatever, and amazingly enough, with just about every person's weak, weak zone, is the ball moving away just from off-stump. Right, almost Every single Just one.
0: outside
1: off-stump. Oh, just weak. outside, yeah. Glenn Maxwell's was right on his head or something. Not, there was one player <laughs> with weak Yeah, that was It was. Yeah, it, was make make yeah. it was the bouncer. Was that yeah. a brain thing, or was that a technical <laughs> batting thing?
0: I don't know. <laughs> well, the montage did show him being hit in the head about oh. three times <laughs> off the top end. <laughs> which was so.
3: I did see an article saying that that cut pull away back away thing that <laughs> looked like it was gets. going over uh, mid wicket is mm. apparently deliberate. I don't believe it. No, no, he he, he was said that joking. as a joke. Oh, he, he got on Twitter joke. afterwards <laughs> yeah. and said, "So I,
0: yes, uh, that's that's the back away look away cut shot, which was completely deliberate and yep. well bowled." While, you know, I saw an
3: analysis so. <laughs> of it. It was like a technical. It was like you know here's what, here's how you know gets in position to play this shot. It was like oh, okay, this is a uh, This is kind of bizarre.
0: That's gone! You are on the Guardian World Cup podcast with Patrick Effany, Mel Farrell and Andy Zoltzman, And we've just been talking about Glenn Maxwell's look away, back away cut shot, which is one of my favourite moments of the tournament, I think. But uh, I wanted to cast around and see what other moments have stood out to you all as ones that you will take away with you, put in your pocketbook and keep close to your heart
1: in the years to come. Um, well, I mean that that was undoubtedly a highlight. But the fact that he played it twice suggests, and the second time he got it much better, uh, suggests that maybe it is something for him to work on. Uh, Shapoor Zadran's run-up for Afghanistan is the unquestioned highlight of not just this World Cup, but any World Cup, arguably the history of cricket. <laughs> Forty-five yards of cricketing galumph, uh, a glorious, a glorious sight. I mean, in this age of you know, everything being controlled by sports scientists, biome- biomechanists. He just charges in from a stupidly long way and bowls as fast as he can. Um, Which isn't actually that fast, judging balance to the run-up. That is not the point. (laughs) The point is he runs up like a fast bowler uh, and there's not enough of that in modern cricket. He just needed
3: the business shirt with the the chains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The pop
2: collar. The photo, there was a photo that he actually put on Twitter. Um, I think it might have been when they were over in Perth. They did a track they did a track thing like where they went on a racing track and it's just, it's a photo of him standing in this like red and black racing suit smoldering at the camera with a coat hanger just thrown down behind him like i don't care if people see the coat hanger and it's <laughs> just brilliant i think he's i think he's
0: I oh, like Great. he's used that to do up his racing suit. It must <laughs> have done. Was that, was that, what, what's the coat hanger for? Well, I think for?
2: it was what the racing suit must have been on, but he hasn't even bothered to let it I take out a the shot. thinking maybe the zip at
0: the back, you know, because you don't <laughs> want to be a fast bowler saying, can you do me up? You know?
1: Well, that is true. Um, so, yeah, Zadran's run. Also, much as it, it pains me to say it, Bangladesh's victory over England was an absolutely spellbinding game of cricket. And, uh, see, Rubel Hussain, who has not always struck the high notes in his international cricketing career, uh, Bowling really, not only really fast but really well, uh, and winning the game with two sort of reverse swinging pitched up balls just when they were needed. Uh, and it was—I went to Bangladesh during the last World Cup, and the enthusiasm for cricket was was spectacular, and the team was deeply unspectacular. And um, they played really, really well. Even in the game with India, they. 35 overs, they were excellent, and then it slightly went to pieces and you thought they couldn't really re-chase it. But in their, they gave New Zealand a really tough game, played well against England, only really the Sri Lanka game and the India game that they've been, been shown up. But it, massive progress and uh, some really good cricket, and Mamadullah's batting's been a, been a delight. And you felt that in that, in that India game, the no-ball decision when Rohit Sharma was
0: out and given not out, you know, based on the height of the delivery, was... Would have been a turning point there if they'd managed to take him. They might have been able to keep India down to sort of more a two sixty yes, odd score. they and
1: might have been. I'm still not sure they would have won, but we'll never But clearly, they up until that moment, they've been uh, been very good.
0: I think also Shapur's batting for me because yeah. I, if uh, I, if I scroll him. through his career <laughs> statistics, he's uh, he's made fifty eight runs in his one day career, and he made what twelve of them undefeated in that innings to win that match yeah. against
1: Scotland. There's been, a, there's been a lot of that in this World Cup. Um, I think it was uh, Mupariwa of uh, Zimbabwe came in in that game with Ireland and um, hadn't hit a one-day international boundary in something like eight years and he hit 6-6-4 six, six, in three balls. <laughs> it was just ma- magical. Yes. How did that happen?
0: Like he'd completely forgotten that glorious. he couldn't do it and yeah. just came out and did it anyway. And, was yeah, it was sort of for a little moment yeah. there they looked like they might pull off that chase. Yeah.
2: Yeah, so I, th- I think well, when you're talking about that, for me, Shapur uh, in that win against Scotland, that, for me that was an incredible moment in this World Cup. It was... It, so often the fairy tale things don't happen. I mean, if, if Hollywood doesn't make a movie about the Afghanistan cricket team and, and how they've come up through this and to win their first game in a World Cup, I mean, that, it's such a great story. There's so many great stories within that team as well.
0: And it makes a, a difference to having sort of cricket teams come out into the middle of the
1: Oval just to pour beer on each other and, and or, kiss or a everywhere. Pee. Or, it's, urinate, it's, on or
2: urinate on the pitch. H's
1: cricket has never recovered from that. <laughs> <laughs> it has been down. We've Hill ever since. Neither we angered of, some kind of bizarre, yeah. earthy gods when we did that.
2: Well, apparently the oval pitch has never been the same either. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: yeah, slash outside the off-stump, thanks. Of uh, Patrick, for, what, what's really stood out to you in the last few weeks? Look,
3: I could be very boring here, and I am going to be, uh, <laughs> let's face it. But there are so many highlights, Jeff. Uh, the 60 Minutes special on David Warner, <laughs> you know, uh, that's on Australian television, that would have to be up there. My, the second one, before I'm boring is going to be uh, at least if this didn't happen in this World Cup, it at least happened in my brain, because Kamen for the, the leg spinner for Zimbabwe, came out and was batting in shades. And he at that point, not only did he have the awesome Mohawk haircut uh, and the, the strut God, can that man strut? Um, but he also he wore shades while batting. Um, he did it while bowling. You know, that's kind of Mark Waugh-esque, Chris Gale-esque. Uh, but he, he then usurped Chris Gale at that point as the smartest man, as the as the coolest man in cricket and probably smartest too. Um, and I, I think in my head I can, I can remember Chris Gale bowling in shades under lights to... Kam and Gozi batting in shades. It probably didn't happen, but if it did, it was great. And it certainly happened in this that's, in this. Uh, that's the skull. end point
1: of all civilization I think. It?
3: It, it was that. Yeah, it was a cricket apocalypse, of course. But but look, let's. Um, I think the, the Australia New Zealand game for me was just the best because everyone was a melting gooey mess during that game. During the end of that game, you know, the ICC commentary team is supposed to to sort of take a step back everyone's taking a step back and and being all glorious and uh and impartial i think it was ian smith along with a couple of aussies uh, shane Warren was in the box i know that and it was just a parochial you know <laughs> a slog fest by the end you know stark had taken a couple of wickets in a row he was on a hat trick a couple of times and every single sort of lack of uh, allegiance or purported lack of allegiance just went out the window and Smithy was melting down in the box and it was one of those great games of cricket that reminds you um, that it has a, the game itself just has a sense of humour you know like it is is—it is certainly not a humorous, ga- humorous game it's not a, a game that um, takes no prisoners in that respect it, its it's just a very funny weird game that can melt down at any point
0: and those times when they keep saying anything could happen, anything could happen, occasionally it does. Yeah. Right.
1: Well, Mitchell Starks bowling in that game, was 6 for 28. Uh, I think one of the greatest performances by a player in a losing team, probably in cricket history, only Imran Khan had taken six wickets in a one-day defeat before, and that was a game that Pakistan lost quite comfortably. So to bowl that well and take Australia so close mm. was uh, truly extraordinary. And, and like I said, it's just great seeing proper fast bowling um, uh, and it seems to happen more in limited overs, I guess, where bowlers can know that they're not going to have to bowl 25 overs in a day and they can just go for it. I was quite pleased with it. I had to write an
0: article before the, the World Cup saying who were my five players to watch, so I picked Sangakara, who made four centuries in a row. Uh, I picked Mizbah who made what, about 20 half centuries in a row, and, <laughs> and, and, and I thought had a brilliant Tournament in terms of captaincy, you know, he really got together a team that was a rabble and, and made them semi competitive. Uh, Glenn Maxwell, who's topping the batting for Australia, Imran Tahir has taken a lot of wickets, and uh, Owen Morgan was the fifth. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he was one to watch.
2: He was one <laughs> to he just watch. just had to watch very closely because yeah, he wasn't out in the middle for very just long. For different
0: reasons.
3: You just watch him for different you just laugh at him
0: as well, you watch. Yeah, you had to be on. You had to know when he was coming out so that you could take advantage <laughs> of those few minutes. But I, I thought it was interesting that Alistair Cook was saying that if he'd been there, there would have been more leadership and things would have been different, whereas as far as I could see, the difference would be that he would have soaked up more deliveries to make the same duck, <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> wasted four or five <laughs> overs in the process. At least Morgan was selfless and got it over with quickly <laughs> and gave his team more balls to chase. But... Um, you know i i know you're a bit of a Mizpah fan as well patrick you and i've have, have bonded over a, a, a love for the cantankerous old bugger of of pakistan cricket and the fact that he still you know could excel at this level at at the age of uh, 40 nearly 41
3: well he certainly earned a few more uh stripes on his brow uh, in that game in that shirt, game against was- australia he was furrowed the whole time he it was kind of like you know the caretaker looking after children and when when rahad ali drops that catch he, he's just gone goodness me what have I? What am I a part of? <laughs> what am I a part
2: of? But also, where does Pakistan batting go now? Now, if, you know, looking ahead at life without both Shahid Afridi and Ms. Haq, they've and got to they they balance Unis each other Unis out. Sure. <laughs> 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 well,
1: but
2: well, yeah, not so much Afridi with that. But just, I guess, I suppose they're losing some senior players. A similar thing for Sri Lanka as well. I guess this World Cup's going to be a real um, marker point for some of the nations who've relied heavily on on a couple of players who are now. Kind of yeah, reaching retirement.
1: Well, neither of those teams has had a really a major batsman come. I guess Angelo Matthews for Sri Lanka, but uh, the cupboard does seem to be reasonably bare for Pakistan on the evidence of what they've provided in this World Cup. And yeah, Misbah is great. I mean, he's uh, particularly I'm I'm forty; he's slightly older than me, and you know he's always been a, a beacon of hope that my retirement <laughs> is not necessarily gone.
2: Well, we're, we were debating on what's Shahid Afridi's official age. I think it's officially it's thirty. Six, Six I
1: think. Yeah. yeah, maybe. Really? But, but
0: he debuted twenty. Years. I don't. He looks quite young. Yeah,
1: he you looks. I uh, in good shape, yeah. I and his hair is the that's the hair of a twenty-two-year-old. Yeah, it? it's oh, it's glorious. Bit, the hair it's is pretty it's the last amazing. thing to go with Shahid Afridi. I think. <laughs> <laughs> mm.
3: But Shapur's, I think, is better. Yeah. I'm trying to model my beard after his. After the, yeah, the Afridi, Afridi beard. Afridi,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, Mr. Afridi. Afridi, I love love watching Afridi. Yeah, and, was, and he um, uh, if I described his innings the other day as a fifteen-ball autobiography. Um, because it just had everything you want from a freebie <laughs> brilliance vulnerability and utter <laughs> brainlessness um, and it, yeah, it was kind of glorious and he's uh, entertained us for two decades
0: One for me that, that we haven't mentioned I think is uh, is Brendan Taylor as well So and Zimbabwe's Batting in general, you know, they really struggled with the bowling. But they actually, you know, they they went out without um, much success in this World Cup. But they had a couple of games where they pushed good teams really close. They they very nearly chased down that score against Ireland. That was a, a massive three thirty kind of score. They pushed South Africa hard. You know, they actually looked like they were starting to get some cohesion into their plays in Zimbabwe. But then now they've lost Taylor for the next three years mm-hmm. to play county cricket
1: uh yes uh i guess that's i mean it, the impressive thing is how long he's resisted those those offers uh to to carry on doing his bit for Zimbabwe cricket which is a fairly thankless task and they they've also been much much better than they were 4 years ago uh and, uh, and last time kenya and and canada were very very weak uh and the dutch had a decent game against england but not a lot else and um it, i think yeah the depth has been a lot greater in, i mean in the uae Everyone was expecting to be absolute of They kept the tournament alive in the first couple of weeks with a couple of gripping games and, and you know remained, without really looking like they were going to win, pretty... None of the teams have absolutely subsided as happened in previous World Cups.
2: Most, most of the disappointing matches have been the ones involving the top sides, really, aside from... Yeah, and from- England as well, so... Mm. Well, it
1: depends um, if you do including <laughs> in, in, that, in that category. Well, yes, and right, of that's course. Very generous of you. That's no, I'm, I'm
2: going great. over there soon. Right. I've got to okay. pave the way. Um, but but that you know there have been some uh, yeah kind of real dud games, and we have uh, has been some of the other countries like the Bangladeshs and and even Ireland that have have kept this World Cup alive and and, and interesting for me, which you know mm. which is interesting.
3: Yeah, the, the quarters were a bomb, weren't they? In terms of the, mm. the results, I, I think. This is the time when we get some last over thrillers, surely. Mm. The semi-final. Finally, this World Cup kicks into some competitive gear.
0: Three games to go in the semi-finals and the final to come. that has (laughs) gone! You're on the Guardian World Cup podcast with Mel Farrell, Andy Zaltzman and Patrick Effany. And to finish the show off today, we should look briefly at those semi-finals. First up with New Zealand taking on South Africa and then Australia to take on India later in the week. These are probably the semi-finals we expected to see, if, if we were really honest, at the start of the tournament. These were probably the four most likely sides to make it through and maybe, you know, was there any point having the World Cup to this point? Couldn't we have just cut it down to these three games and got things over and done with more quickly?
1: That's the ultimate goal for the ICC, I think, is a three-team tournament um, <laughs> involving India, Australia and England. But it um, would still have 45 <laughs> matches in it. Yes, yeah, so 45 <laughs> matches spread over eight years. So um,
0: looking at the semi we've okay we've got you know South Africa having to go away they've got to play in New Zealand they lost the game against Pakistan there if i remember rightly um didn't look entirely convincing on those decks you know their batting's been a bit up and down they've got a couple of they've got the two best batsmen in the world and then maybe a couple of the Least best, um, but you know some of their lesser lights have been making runs. I'm just backing against the South Africans because I've done that for the entire time, so my entire reputation <laughs> depends on that. <laughs> but from ob- objective sources, uh, what do you see happening in this game, Patrick?
3: Well, Quinton de Cock. Who knows what the hell's going on there? Uh, he finally <laughs> scores some runs after how many games of, of piddling about doing absolutely nothing. Um, well, standing behind the stumps, I suppose, but that's just part of his job description. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think if they get off to a reasonable start, uh, like, they should win, in my opinion. I think I think South Africa should win. Um, they have the, the hitting power through De villiers They can use him at any time, um, and I think he will not be threatened uh, by the, the movement of the ball. Uh, he hasn't been threatened by any bowler, really, and I, I think he's going to score big. Um and I do worry about uh New Zealand's batting. Uh for all for how, how consistent and how good they've been, I still worry. Uh, maybe it's that kind of behemoth uh reputation that that South Africa carry and then and then New Zealand still suffering from that that minnow tag a little um, but, in my my mind it, it just looks to be a mismatch still it still looks a bit to me a mismatch after New Zealand have played so well for some reason i can 't get over this idea that South Africa are the best team in the world. South Africa and Australia are the two best teams in the world um, and and south africa will will pump them
1: pump right he 's going for a full pumping um, uh, i ho- well i hope it 's a close game i think uh, I, also, I, th- I think south africa will 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 win uh, uh, it's um, the absolute key for me is Steyn and, and Morkel if they can uh, undermine the New Zealand New Zealand batting. Uh, we mentioned Gupta earlier on and you know he was brilliant the other day. He's played I think ten or eleven one dayers against South Africa and averaged eleven. Uh, it's an entirely different. It's uh, might as well be a different sport compared with playing West Indies. But that said, he's never played them with the confidence of hammering a 200 in a World Cup quarterfinal before uh, and South Africa beat New Zealand I think in N- November last year in New Zealand in a one day series but as I said New Zealand have you know significantly different team even since then so uh, yeah it's it's a uh, tough one to call I've, I think I think South Africa and it will just edge it. But not I don't think I'm not going for a pumping though so the problem is the problem is, you look at Martin
3: Gupta right and and you see he scored 200 and was it 237 uh, 37
0: that's plenty I think that's yes. plenty of runs that's um, the highest ever score in a World Cup
3: yeah yeah pretty handy yeah. but you just something in a cricketing brain that's followed cricket for you know however many years gupta has been playing 10 years or something 10 years of just <laughs> horrid disappointment and like unfulfilled promise and you just can't see him going out and blasting you just that saying in in the World Cup <laughs> just, you know it just doesn't yeah. it seems incongruous right. that McCullum who whose average is well well less than he should in in international cricket I think we'd all argue um, yeah about
0: 30 in one day yeah, which is pretty I mean, low for a for a specialist
3: for how good he is we know he's good he's Batted everyone in this tournament, but I just for some reason you just can't. I can My mind can't tweak to New Zealand being heavyweight uh, against South no. Africa. But
1: South Africa showed a lot of vulnerability against spin. Um, and de Kok and Russo against the UAE looked like they'd never seen a spinner before. Uh, so you know, Vittori yeah, could so be against Mohamed Taukia, That um, spell
0: where he was just turning it past yeah, their off stumps uh, sort of time but, and time again. Yeah,
1: has yeah. um, been curiously up and down, but uh, yeah, he and he and as we say, could win any any match.
2: I'm bucking the trend. <laughs> I'm not going for a pumping, but I'm uh going for I I think if you looked at the, the build-up to this World Cup, and yes, South Africa went and beat New Zealand at home. When they came here to Australia, uh, in the I didn't think they looked that impressive at all. I thought they were quite disappointing. They were missing. I think the only players they were missing from their World Cup squad were Dumini and de Kock, Which, and you would not say that's missing. No. you know big, Although Russell big Jackson guns. has been
0: making the case throughout the, this podcast season that no Dumini, no South Africa. Um which, statistically, he can actually back <laughs> yeah. up quite well. I mean, it sounds yeah. ridiculous, but...
2: but... But overall, I thought when they came to Australia in November, I, I just thought they were, were not the side I was expecting to see. Um, and I've also kind of felt that throughout this World Cup, that, that a few you know a few spells from Stain in particular and a few of those amazing innings from de Villiers has kind of been what their World Cup campaign has been based on. And they did lose... To, to Pakistan as well. I, th- I definitely see, while they've got a couple of the best, I think they're very reliant on those few players, like about three players, uh, whereas New Zealand, I think the thing about the Guptill innings, w- what that showed was, you know, some people might think that they're reliant on, on McCullum or then on Williamson, and but then you had those two not making the runs and then Guptill stood up and, and other players down the line. I mean, Ross Taylor hasn't really fired. He chimed in with some handy runs but he probably hasn't had his big world cup moment yet uh, uh and I, I also just think that the same way i think we were talking about this before andy that bolt and Southie haven't really fired in the same match it, i think if they fire in the same match that that's going to be a really really hard side to beat if they're able to do yeah. that together
1: now yeah they do they do bat long and as, as we've it could come down to which team can conquer their doubts. If it gets to a situation, it might be one-sided, in which case whether you are nervous or whether you have a propensity to choke doesn't really come into it. Uh, chokes tend to be reactive to match situations. You know, a lot of people said South Africa proved they don't choke anymore just by beating Sri Lanka. Well, they had them four for two and were never in a position where that was an issue. But New Zealand, six semifinals in a row, Do they? I think they probably do believe they can win this tournament, but to do that when that goal is tangible is slightly different. South Africa... Don't know yet if they can do it. Uh, it con- when they went to pieces four years ago, do they have the strength to get through a similar situation this time? And New Zealand
0: will be missing Adam Milne as well, who's their 150k first change speedster, which you think would put a, a dint in any side. Although if McLenahan comes in, he does have an exceptional one-day record. Or he
1: did fall over every other ball when he bowled against Bangladesh.
0: And went at about eight and a half yeah. and over in his, his only game so far in the World Cup. Um, Australia v India will come up second. I feel like this is the whole summer's really been priming to this. The Indians will be will be out for revenge. You know they they'll really want to um, sort of stand up and, and show that they've developed.
2: This is one that I think Australia will win. I, th- I think it will be close. We we have been building up to this all summer, and they've played each other so much. I think they've got each other probably figured out, although they haven't played for a while. Uh, but I I do, I do think Australia will have the confidence. That they'll be able to to beat India and take them apart. Um, although I would expect it to be much much closer than any of the encounters that we that we've had. I just think Australia bats so deep; they've got so many explosive match winners further down that order, and um, the bowlers to back it up as well.
3: I think the the pitch will be green. I think the SCG will be slightly greener than perhaps usual. Uh, and that is the reason that Australia will win. If if they were playing in most other conditions in the world, except perhaps England or New Zealand, I think India would win this game just because of they have so many good one day players who are so confident and just can score two hundred or one fifty, you know, just like that. Um but I think they will struggle against pace and bounce. I think we'll see balls whistling past their head. And that will restrict their scoring um, compared to what Australia can do in the same conditions. And I, I think the conditions dictate that Australia win this um, and, and go through the final.
1: Yeah, I think Stark could be the, the key in this. Uh, it's been devastating and glorious, this World Cup. Also, you know, if it rains those robot Indian bowlers could easily short-circuit and have to use the human ones again, which really <laughs> will for them. Um, uh, I, I think Australia will win. But at the same time, Dhoni just needs to look at a World Cup match and it seems to win it. Um, they, he has this aura of uh, calm about him. And also, I guess the Indian players are really good at peaking and they know, you know if they win the World Cup, they can take the next two years off again. So... Um, <laughs> They have just got to do it for two more games, but I think Australia will uh, will win. All right, to keep things
0: spicy, I'm going to back India here. I reckon Australia have faced them a lot this summer, but they haven't faced their good bowling. They've faced their rubbish bowling, and I think Virat Kohli always pulls it out on the big occasions. Um, he's he's one of those big game players. He scored his hundred against Pakistan, and then he's basically been cruising ever since. But this game, you know, he's it's personal. He's got business with the Australians. He's he's going to take them down, and I think if anyone can handle the short ball. Um, he's, he's the Indian batsman to do it. Rahane as well, pretty pretty comfortable against the short stuff. So that's my tip, but we shall see who's wrong and who's right and who's an idiot and who's a clown. <laughs> Come next week, this has been the Guardian World Cup podcast and we will be back next week for the final time in this tournament to wrap up all the action from the final on Sunday night. Thanks to our guests, Andy Zaltzman, Mel Farrell and Patrick Effany. I've been Jeff Lemon, your host, as per usual, and thanks to you also for listening in. We'll see you again next
1: week. For more great downloads, go to theguardian.com/slash audio.